This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus weak passwords, schools targeted by ransomware, and HIPAA right of access explained. This is episode nine. Cue the entrance music. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so you can better protect your business and identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nuwash Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nuwajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. While it was inevitable, I recorded the Patch Tuesday segment a couple days ago because there were no new updates to report. And there still aren't for the operating systems, but Google Chrome should be updated to address uh, new vulnerability found. So update, you should be version uh, 79. I think it's 345.88. Uh, there is an update available for Drupal. So if you're using Drupal, you're going to want to update to either 7.69, 8.7.11, or 8.8.1. And that's to address uh, the ability for remote hackers to compromise web servers. There is an update available for WordPress plugin 301 redirects easy redirect manager. You're going to want to update that immediately because there is a vulnerability that allows any authenticated user, including subscribers, to be able to create, edit, modify, or delete 301, 301 redirects. And obviously that could take your site down. So you should be on 301 redirect easy redirect manager 3.45 and it was or there is an update for SharePoint um, a few different versions of SharePoint so you're going to want to make sure that your SharePoint version is on the latest version there is uh, an API issue with some of the older versions so get those updates taken care of that's going to do it for the patch Tuesday segment let's jump right into the news for the week and there is a lot of news um, first, I'm going to do uh, a couple of roundups. So Emotet roundup. Emotet is currently being circulated via Taylor Swift Pictures, a Greta Thunberg de- demonstration invite. And uh, they're also attackers are also posing as German authorities. Now, the Emotet gang is changing their ta- tactics. And this, so this was reported on December 19th, so it's kind of late. But ahead of winter holidays, and this is on Bleeping Computer, with the end of the year, Approaching fast, the authors of Emotet have made changes that may increase the revenue for the holidays. One of the modifications refers to the URI structure. Clients use the check-in to command and control servers. Another changes the malware delivery method. Checking into C2 servers in late November, security researchers at email security company Cofence Labs noticed that Emotet code on the client side no longer used random paths based on a word list to reach the command and control center. Introduced in early 2019, the structure was discarded in favor of seemingly random strings of at least four characters. A more careful look into this revealed that the path was actually the key from the key value pair in the posted form data. Um, they're bringing back old tactics. So following a summer break, email te- operators restarted activity in September, delivering emails with malicious attachment. This was shift in tactic as previously they used link-based email templates for the task. In the la- latest email campaigns, Emotet returned to the old habit that proved to be an efficient 
delivery method, the researchers say they're using link-based templates, again, is probably an attempt to maximize victim count ahead of the winter holidays. Um, so as for the payload, payload, TrickBot remains the main malware. TrickBot, of course, is the bank in Trojan that steals uh, credentials. In the recent campaigns, the researchers say they observed heavy distribution, which would indicate one last effort to make money before the winter break. Uh, so that's the Emotet roundup. And the other roundup I'm going to talk about is Maze. Maze is, is Maze Ransomware is making a, a big name for itself in the last week or so. They are responsible for attacks on Pensacola, Florida municipalities, Allied Universal, and Andrew agencies in Manitoba, California. Those are the reported attacks just in the last week. All right, next up, 267 million Facebook users' phone numbers exposed online. Not just phone numbers, but phone numbers obviously are a big concern. Um, researchers believe that criminals were able to obtain personal information from millions of Facebook users. This is on threat posts, and this was not a Facebook database. So before you start yelling at Facebook again, a database exposing the names, phone numbers, and Facebook user IDs of millions of platform users was left unsecured on the web for nearly two weeks before it was removed. Security researcher Bob Dechenko, who along with ComparAttack discovered the unsecured Elasticsearch database, believed it belongs to a cyber criminal organization as opposed to Facebook. Dechenko went to the internet service provider managing the VoIP, oh, I'm sorry, the IP address of the service so that the access could be removed. A database this big is likely to be used for phishing and spam, particularly via SMS according to the Thursday report. Facebook users should be on the lookout for suspicious text messages even if the sender knows your name or some basic information about you. Be skeptical of any unsolicited, unsolicited messages. So if you've never used text messaging for Facebook and you start getting them, you should definitely ignore them. I do not, I do not recommend using text messaging SMS for any social media platform, um, but I know some people do. The database was first indexed on December 4th and was discovered by researchers on December 14th. While the database is now unavailable on the IP address where it was discovered, Dechenko said the data was also posted to a hacker forum as a download on December 12th. So the data is out there now. Um, that being said, a little ad hoc here, if you believe your your information is private and but you're using social media, you're mistaken. It's I know Facebook and to a lesser extent, some of the other social media platforms have really, you know, well, TikTok is, is taking it, taking a beating too. But, it, you know, your information is out there. If you're on social media, you're, you're not private. Your information is out there. Most likely your phone number, your email address, maybe even your, your home address. It's all out there. Um, a lot of people who believe their information is not found on the Internet. And I do a quick Google search and there it is. And they're blown away by that. Uh, and then they ask how, and I, I tell them how. So if you're using social media, you may as well, at least for now, I know there's regulations coming and uh, so forth, but for now, don't expect much privacy. Um, New Orleans, an update on the New Orleans ransomware attack. I reported this on Monday. It was reported last week. Um a ransomware this was i think it was reported after i did after i recorded the weekly show uh so new orleans did suffer a ransomware attack they did not at first acknowledge that it was a ransomware attack they 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 did not report anything but they did declare a state of emergency and shut down services but left emergency services up 
uh, but based on information that was uploaded to virus total a little a little digging around and we were able to security personnel were able to determine that it was the Ryuk ransomware strain there was still no indication as to whether or not there was a ransom request ever made or if it ever reached the city of New Orleans and if it did there is no indication as to what the amount uh, I shouldn't say request but what was the ransom amount suggested to restore services as of now it sounds like New Orleans is back up um, and running as expected but Louisiana is you know they're they're really uh somebody doesn't like Louisiana it sounds like Louisiana and Florida just keep keep getting hit with ransomware attacks uh what else can I tell you today we got New Jersey's on threat post New Jersey's largest hospital system pays up in ransomware attacks so also another um ransomware attack that initially did not get reported as a ransomware attack they said there was an outage so a ransomware attack earlier this month led the hospital system to reschedule surgeries and, and appointments. New Jersey's largest hospital system said that it has paid hackers a ransom after a ransomware attack disrupted its services earlier this month. Hackensack Meridian Health, a $6 billion nonprofit health provider system based in Edison, New Jersey, operates 17 hospitals, nursing homes, and outpatient centers, as well as a psychiatric facility carrier clinic. The hospital system told media outlets on Friday that it was targeted by a cyber attack on December 2nd, crippling its computer software systems for nearly five days. So, um, obviously, we've we've talked in previous podcasts about the threat to human life when ransomware attacks uh, like this occur. And if the hospital, so the, the attacks are going to occur. And <clears throat> I'm not sure there's going to be a way to stop it. There are ways to mitigate your risk, and it does not sound like the hospital was doing anything to mitigate the risk. Um, there's always going to be bad guys, and if we're not prepared for those bad guys, then you're going to have scenarios like this where a hospital, where a, a 17 hospitals are down for uh, five five days or more, and that will create potential threat to life, threat to human life. Uh, you can expect a, an OCR investigation, I'm sure, um, because we don't know if data at this point, if data was, was lost as well. Um, also talked about this during the week, threat post, Alexa and Google Home eavesdropping hack not yet fixed. So a hack that was discovered um, earlier this year, months after researchers disclosed a new way to exploit Alexa and Google Home smart speakers to spy on users. Some say researchers have now warned that Amazon, I'm sorry, those same researchers now warn that Amazon and Google have yet to create effective ways to prevent the eavesdropping hack. The researchers who in October disclosed the Smart Spies hack, which enables eavesdropping, voice phishing, or using others' voice, other using people's voice cues to determine passwords, told ThreatPost this week that little has been done to prevent the hacks from being launched. Nothing has changed. Karsten Knoll, the manager director of Security Research Labs, Short, uh, SR Labs for short, told threat post that in itself, that in itself is uh, shocking given more how many users are exposed to, to possible threats right now. It's been more than five months since our disclosure and the issues persist. So how does it work? The vulnerability first disclosed months ago lies in the small apps created by developers for devices to extend their capability called Skills for Alexa and, and second app called Actions on Google Home according to a report by SR Labs. 
These apps can be used to listen in on users or VISH, which is short for voice phishing, which commonly occurs over phone, by the way. Their port passwords, researchers said, the hack leverages something called fallback intent, which is when a voice app cannot assign the user's most recent spoken command to any other intent and instead offers help. For Alexa users, the researchers also leverage the built-in stop intent, which reacts to the user saying, stop. Researchers first built-in seemingly innoc innocuous app, which was submitted to Amazon and Google Review and published. After the review, researchers were able to change the functionality. Then researchers changed the welcome message of speakers to a fake error message and made the voice app say the character sequence. In this case, that sequence was question. Um, so it's a U plus D eight zero one dot space, which creates the question mark with a back a black background. So it's a uh, ASCII. Since the sequence is unpronounceable, the speaker remains silent while active, making the app say the characters multiple times increases the length of the silence, researchers said. Using this trick, researchers were able to launch various attacks, including requesting the user to password by playing a phishing message after the silence or eavesdropping on users by faking the stop intent. So, um, interesting compromise. There's been little response from both Google and Amazon on this, and obviously they haven't corrected it, of course, according to SR Labs. So we'll have to wait and see. So if you're using either one of those voice speakers, voice-activated speakers, you're going to want to make sure you're using well-trusted skills. All right, so the next story was sent in by a, a listener of the show. Thank you, Bill. Um, on vice.com, researcher releases data on 100,000 phishing attempts to teach you how to not get hacked. So this is actually pretty cool. This massive data set can help teach and understand phishing better. A security researcher who specializes in tracking government hacking attempts published 25 gigs of data on 100,000 phishing attacks on Monday. A phishing attack is a legitimate seeming but fraudulent email or website that tricks a target into sharing their personal information, like username and password, with a hacker. Phishing is an incredibly common way to hack people and carry out cyber espionage corporations. Phishing is the primary attack vector in 32% of all data breaches analyzed by Verizon for its annual data breach and incident response report. Claudio Garnari, who works as Amnesty International and has been tracking targeted attacks against dissidents and activists for almost a decade, published a data set to help other researchers track hackers and to help cybersecurity educators use them as real-world examples. So that's really cool. Because phishing is such a dominant threat for the targeted groups I normally work with, I have been working over the last years on a number of tools and services to mitigate and respond to such attacks. Guarnaris, who has contributed to Motherboard, wrote in a blog post where he shared a link to download the data set via torrent. Guarnari explained that the archive contains a data set, database of phishing URLs, their corresponding HTML data and screenshots of the phishing page. So that's really cool. Um, if you in any way work with people to teach them how to recognize phishing emails, phishing websites, and 90% of all ransom attacks, ransomware attacks begin with a phishing email. So you're going to want to share that, share that information and maybe use it as a tool to teach your employees how to recognize a phishing attack. And who knows, it just may save your business. 
And finally, last bit of news. There is a post on Cyware. This came from uh, a researcher at NordPass found that here, so 25 most common passwords found from breaches in 2019, 2019. So here's a list. And if you're using any of these passwords, you're going to want to change them in order from one to 25, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Test one, password, one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight. Zinch, G underscore checkout and check is spelled C-Z-E-C-H. ASDF, QWERTY, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uppercase A, lowercase A, one, two, three, four, five, six. I love you, all lowercase, one, two, three, four. ABC, one, two, three, one, 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 one. One, two, three, one, two, three. Dub smash, test, princess. QWERTY UIOP, sunshine, uppercase B, lowercase V, uppercase T, EST, one, two, three, and then one, 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 one. Uh, if you're using any of these passwords, you're the reason ring cameras are getting hacked and Disney Plus accounts are getting hacked. The number one password on, on the breach list is still one, two, three, four, five. That is a... topics for the week so stay tuned sit back okay let's talk about some hot topics here uh first thing i want to talk about so two of these are blog posts on the wash tech website so it's just go to nwajatech.com Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, you'll see the newest blog posts, or from the top right, click on blog, and you'll arrive at our blog posts. The most recent one is proof that dentists need HIPAA compliance with one case. So, wrote up a, I, I've spoken, we sp I speak to a lot of dentists in my area, uh, you know, asking if they need HIPAA, au HIPAA audits, services, um, IT services, if they have a recent security risk analysis. Um, because a lot of dentists don't believe they, they need to, that they fall under the HIPAA umbrella. Let's put it like that. So I've had a couple push back on me. One of them, you know, I pointed out their forms on their website are, are, um, can be compromised very easily. They have no SS, no TLS on their website. And so if any PHI were to be transmitted through that form, then they potentially put their, their patients at risk. Um, then a lot of them using free email accounts, Gmail, in one case AOL, Hotmail. I, I've it's not a, not a joke. I've seen all of these things just in Connecticut. Um. So a lot of dentists don't believe that they need or that they fall under the HIPAA umbrella, and they're wrong. And I can prove it. And here's so here's my blog post. Does my dental practice need to be HIPAA compliant? After speaking to many IT providers and a few dental practices, the consensus is dentists believe that they do not need to comply with HIPAA regulations. So I thought it was time to discuss and put an end to the debate. So the, one of the biggest reasons I brought it up is because there have been at least three big breaches this year involving dentists. First one, um, and the most recent one, is a Colorado-based MSP a managed service provider was compromised by attackers, and then the attackers used their remote support software to connect to more than 100 dentists to launch a ransomware attack. 
So those 100 plus dentists, some of whom are still down, um, were breached. Some of them paid ransom. The ransom request wasn't just one ransom request. So they paid one and then there was another ransom request. So there was several layers of encryption that needed to be dealt with. And the thought was that the attackers did this because they didn't want the dentist to share the, de the decryption key. Um, in case two, earlier this year, two, soft, two dental software service providers were breached. From there, the attackers were able to launch ransomware on more than 400 dental providers. So now 100 plus, 400 plus. Um, one of the software companies provided backup services for the dentist, which meant they had no ability to restore from the backup. Now, uh, well, let me talk about case three. So the, case, the third one was a smaller incident, but still, you know, if you're a dental, a dentist, you're going to want to pay attention. PM Consultants, which is an Oregon-based MSP, is providing IT consulting services to dental practices in their area, including software updates, backups, um, and backups. They were a victim of a ransomware attack in July. It was reported that dental practice customers in Oregon and Washington were unable to access patient files. The company owners announced in late. So PM Consultants in late July decided via email, they sent an email saying they're shutting down their business, partially due to the ransomware incident. It wasn't partially due. It was totally due. They couldn't handle the backlash. They couldn't handle, they couldn't handle the financial responsibility. And, of course, their, their reputation took a big hit um, because it did happen through the, the MSP. As of October 28th, three months after the attack, PM Consultants' website continues to be offline, and the phone is disconnected. Of course, I pulled this from um, um, Armour's website. So one common theme in all these attacks was the lack of security put in place by the MSC, MSP, mostly in the form of a multi-factor authentication. Now, what am I talking about? Uh, if you're using any type of remote support software, so obviously as an MSP, you, you want to try to minimize the amount of on-site time because that's e extremely expensive. So we all use remote support software. That remote support software allows us to log into computers and help as needed, do the patching when, when you know, the business is, is closed. Um, pretty much almost anything. As long as there's an internet connection, we could probably fix it remotely. Um, that software should have multi-factor authentication. So it should be one of two things. It should either be somebody on the other side giving you a code to put in to be able to access that device, which is not always easy to deal with um, because A, nobody's there 24-7, and B, sometimes it's difficult to walk the end user through that process. It ta And it takes time. Um, or you use some type of secondary authentication to connect. So in the case of Nuage Tech, we use bi biometrics. So the remote session gets initiated, a thumbprint needs to be put in to connect, and there's only certain people that have that ability to use their thumbs. Um, so dentists are obviously a targeted, big targets, okay? Why are these dentist cyber attacks so important? I bring these up, these three incidents to highlight that dental practice are being attacked and could conceivably be held liable under HIPAA regulations, especially if there's no business associate agreement in place. So in other words, if this so-called MSP or any IT vendor that is helping you with your computers, your network, 
your devices, you're supposed to have a business associate agreement in place with them. And that business associate agreement is essentially a contract that says, this is what you're responsible for. This is what the IT vendor is responsible for. This is what any contractors the IT vendor might have are responsible for. This is what the backup vendor is responsible for and on and on and on. Um, the reporting rules will be in this document. Um, you know, obviously you have to follow the HIPAA guidelines for reporting, but there, there may be more guidelines in the BAA. All of these things need to be in, in, a, in an agreement signed between the IT vendor and the dentist to, to be, that they're providing service to. The reason is you may, through your work, come in contact with PHI, protected health information. Yes, dentists have protected health information. Many dentists will argue that they are not held to HIPAA standards for patient privacy. I have spo per personally spoken to dentists in my area who show signs of weak security and a lack of HIPAA best practices without even a security risk assessment being completed. So in other words, just, just taking a look, a quick look, I'm able to see HIPAA violations. Things I've seen include in just the last two months, using free email accounts like Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, and in one case, AOL, not having a secured website, uh, not having a secured website, even if there is no communicating. So if you have communications uh, through forms and so forth, uh, your, your website is supposed to be, it's supposed to have a TLS certificate. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Google, I don't even think at this point, Google will even put your website on Google search results. If they do, you won't, you won't be very high in the search results. Um, leaving workstations unlocked and unattended. Oh, so back to the secured website, TLS. If your website doesn't have a TLS certificate, which is for the most part, pretty easy to install then it tells me you're not taking the necessary precautions in your practice either uh, because that's a simple fix and if it's not done you're sending a message a very strong i saw one dentist website that was just a complete disaster i don't even know how anybody can navigate the site and then finally again leaving workstations unlocked and unattended i did witness this early on a, a weekday morning walked into a dentist there was a you know a, a big reception area with uh, i don't know three or four computers Nobody was there. It was early. Nobody was sitting in the front by the reception area. The reception area is kind of a uh, walk around, so you it's not uh, not your normal reception area that's kind of blocked off. This one was not blocked off. Low low countertops, and every computer was unlocked. Nobody was there. Dentists will insist they don't need to follow HIPAA best practices. I even had one dentist tell me flat out that they don't fall under HIPAA guidelines and they have no intention of doing anything about it. So how do you know dentists are required to be HIPAA compliant? Well, it, it is really simple. There was a HIPAA penalty earlier this year, a fine. It was a modest fine, it was $10,000. But what's more important is that they were fined by the OCR for a HIPAA violation. The violation was they responded to a Yelp review with PHI. The original interview filed a complaint with the HHS, and that's all it takes is one complaint. We heard a, a case last week, a HIPAA violation, that just took one complaint, and uh, the OCR will investigate. Now, if you are a busy dental practice, $10,000 is probably not a big deal, but that also means the OCR is going to be breathing down your throat, and they're going to be looking into your HIPAA, your HIPAA um, program, make sure it's there, you're going to check to see if you have a security risk assessment and have you had one in each of the last 
five, six, seven years. Um, they're going to check to see if there is any education going on in regards to HIPAA. And they're going to check to make sure you're safeguarding patient information. And if you're not doing these things, um, as an example, a dentist I once, this is going back a number of years, but they had a wide open Wi-Fi network, no password on it at all. Uh, they said, oh, this is open. You know, we want to keep it open for our guests. But the problem was that same Wi-Fi router was connected to their internal network. And so, therefore, anybody on that network could be sniffing. Um, so that one $10,000 penalty tells you that the OCR does, that dentists do fall under, under the HIPAA umbrella. You need to have a HIPAA plan in place. Now, if you're not, if you don't have a HIPAA plan in place and you're completely being negligent, in other words, you don't care that there's no HIPAA plan in place, then you could be fined potentially up to $50,000 per record. How many how many records do you have? So you need to get it together, dentists. You really do. And um, I'm sharing this with dentists in my area. Feel free if you are an MSP to come and share um, in, with your dentist practice in your area. I, I would kind of tend to stay away from MSPs that maybe, I, I don't know, maybe if they have 100 plus dentists, Check to use, make sure they're using MFA, multi-factor authentication. Check to see if there if there is a business associate agreement in place. Check to see if um, you know. You know what? Just give me a call. Give me a call. The number's on the website, and I'll tell you what you need to check for. Um, I won't even charge you for that piece of information. Okay. At the end of the day, HIPAA is not about fines and guidelines. It's about patient care and rights. So the patients are the ones that are going to end up paying with each one of these breaches. And um, there are a number of breaches for dentists. We need to get it together, dentists. All right, so there's been a lot of news about ring cameras. Last week or so, ring cameras being hacked, um, data breaches, and I'm, so I'm going to get to a data leak that was exposed. Uh, I believe it was reported yesterday. But I wrote a blog post because they, the ring cameras are not being hacked. Um, that is false news. Fake news. Hashtag fake news. Who's really at fault? So, ring cameras hacked. Who's really at fault? It has been all over the news the last few days. Almost every news title is something along the lines of ring cameras hacked, causing hysteria in households. Uh, this, this is the mainstream media. There's no doubt that the cases were where this happened. Our scary videos have surfaced on the internet of someone talking to children and other family members through a ring camera. Imagine purchasing a camera to help with keeping your family secure only to have a strange adult man talking to your children through them. I'd be very uneasy with it. I would lose sleep. Sleep. I already do lose sleep thinking about my clients and family security, but who's really to blame? So I'm going to give you a little crash course. Um, some call it password stuffing. I call it credential stuffing because you need not just the password, but the username. Credential stuffing 101. I'm going to separate the media into two groups. The responsible media that reports the story accurately and the irresponsible group that reports what they what will get you to click so uh, you know at the end of the day they're trying to get numbers um so they're gonna they're gonna spin it in a way that's gonna get you to read through the responsible group includes terms like credential stuffing this is great but what is credential stuffing to understand password stuffing you must first understand one one part of the dark web dark web is like the black market on the internet 
One of the items you can purchase on the dark web is lists of usernames and passwords often uncovered during previous data breaches. For example, in 2012, 117 million email, emails and passwords were breached on LinkedIn, but wasn't reported until 2016. This list is still used today to compromise other accounts on the internet. Uh, how do I know this? I know this because I the password I used to use for LinkedIn was on that list. And um, fortunately, this another application that I use recognized that the password was on that list and told me. Uh, now I, you know, so that was a number of years ago. So now I, I closely monitor these things. So now I know, first of all, I don't use the same password anywhere. But secondly, I know how to check. And it was, I'm, pro, I, my commercial accounts are being proactively monitored for that type of, of uh, leak. Um, and so I, we do offer that service, by the way. So if you were interested in that service, dark web scanning, um, give me a call. That's the second time I've asked you to give me a call. Um, attackers, I refuse to call them hackers because they're not really hacking anything. They use these lists to try to compromise, try to compromise credentials on other websites and online resources. Many people likely use the same credentials for LinkedIn and Facebook, for example. If you did, then the attackers would successfully access your Facebook account with the credentials purchased on the dark web. You can easily find out, so there's a link on this, on this blog post for, to the dark web scan. And so the initial scan is free, by the way. And then we do monitoring, and that's, there's a monthly charge for that. What does that have to do with ring cameras? Ring cameras are accessible over the internet to the end user. Once the ring camera is connected to your network, you can connect to them remotely through an app or website to view the camera feed, interact, interact with anyone that is in view of the camera. You have probably seen the commercials of the homeowner scaring off would-be criminals by talking to them through their ring doorbell. The premise is similar to a ring camera, but there are obviously other use cases. Some ring camera owners use their cameras to talk to their pets while they're not home. Others might use them to communicate with the kids when they get home from school. There are lots of positive uses for ring cameras and other security cameras too. It's not just ring. With ease of use comes of risk. Comes risk. With ease of use comes risk. All these features are great, but they come with an inherent risk. Anything that is exposed to the internet and has potential for compromise. Ring cameras and other IoT devices and IoT as Internet of Things are no exception. So Internet of Things, those are your smart speakers, um, your smart t um, smart TVs, any smart devices you might have. I know there's a microwave now that connects, a, t a refrigerator that connects, so any device that connects to the Internet. In fact, there are more at risk than computers and servers. So computers and servers, there's almost always, when there is a, there is a vulnerability discovered, almost always immediately there's a patch for it that is not the case with iot not yet ring cameras however are the exception to the rule uh, most of iot oh so i'm sorry i skipped a uh, part iot devices tend to be less secure security focused than enterprise and commercial computer systems they are not typically developed with security in mind ring cameras however are the exception to the rule amazon is the company behind ring cameras the well-publicized attacks utilizing ring cameras are not the fault of amazon or the cameras Who's at fault? As was the case with Disney Plus accounts being compromised, the end users end user is at fault here. It was reported that every case of ring camera being compromised, credential stuffing was used. In other words, someone grabbed usernames in the form of emails and passwords and gave it a try and ring camera app or website. In a lot of cases they failed, but in some they did succeed. Those ring camera users reused credentials that were available on lists on the dark web.
the end user is at fault for not using a more complex password policy that includes not reusing passwords. They may not know they may not know know better, or they simply didn't consider the risk. But the successful attacks are the result of not taking care to be more secure with password usage. Beyond a better password policy, two-factor authentication, abbreviated as TFA on here, but you'll see it as 2FA also, can also be enabled whenever TFA or MFA is an option, you should use it. Utilizing this could have mitigated the weak password and avoided the problem altogether. Now, I don't recommend using weak password even if TFA is available. Use a strong password. Passwords should be uppercase, lowercase, numbers, special characters, and as long as possible. Security should give you peace of mind. Many years ago, I lived in a small apartment on the first floor on an apartment of an apartment building. I used to work until 2 a.m. One night, I came home to find my bathroom window open, the curtain knocked down, and a small TV I had in the bedroom missing. I came to learn I interrupted someone as they were breaking into my apartment. As you can imagine, this, this is a little unsettling. I can't imagine how it must feel to have your private home life broken into through a device intended to make it more secure. Security is top of everyone's mind, but often suffers because we also want things to be easy. Security is everyone's responsibility. Now, as an addendum, yesterday it was reported that a data leak exposed the personal information of over 3,000 Ring users, so a listener of the show shared this with me. This gives a potential attacker access to view cameras in somebody's home. That's a real serious potential invasion of privacy right there. So the login credentials for 3,672 Ring camera owners were compromised this week, exposing login emails, passwords, time zones, and the names people give to specific cameras which are often the same as the camera's location, such as bedroom or front door. Using the login email and password, an intruder could access a Ring's, Ring customer's home address, telephone number, and payment information, include, including the kind of card they have and its last four digits in security code. An intruder could also access live camera footage from all active Ring cameras associated with an account, as well as 30 to 60 day video history, depending on user's cloud storage plan. Uh, we don't know how this tr- this Cluster information was leaked. Ring denies any claims that the data was compromised as part of a breach of Ring systems. A Ring spokesperson declined to tell BuzzFeed News when it became aware of the leak or whether it affected third party that Ring uses to provide its services. Um, Ring has not had a data breach. Our security team has investigated these incidents and we have no evidence of an unauthorized intrusion or compromise Ring's systems or network. The spokesperson said, it is not uncommon for bad actors to harvest data from other companies' data breaches and create lists like this so that other bad actors can attempt to gain access to other services. So what could have happened is credential stuffing. So that, so somebody may have tried a bunch of Ring cameras with those usernames and passwords to see if they worked and just kept a list of the ones that did work. Um, so again, not the fault of Ring, it sounds like, and not, um, not on behalf of Amazon. So... Strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, don't reuse passwords. That's that's the resolution there. Our final topic today, ransomware hit over 1,000 U.S. schools in 20, 2019. So I found this interesting, and then a couple days later, so this was reported on Bleeping Computer. This was three days ago. Since January, 1,039 schools across the U.S. have been potentially hit by ransomware attack after 72 school districts and or educational Institutions have publicly reported being a ransomware victim, according to a report from security solutions provider Armor. Eleven of the total number of impacted U.S. school districts had their systems 
affected by ransomware since late October, with 226 schools being directly affected as a result. Of the 11 school districts hit in the last attack wave, only one has reported being having paid the ransom but did not disclose the sum. That was Port Next Groves. Three reported having refused to pay. That was Wood County, Penn Harris, and Madison, Claremont. Penn Harris, Madison, and then Claremont. And seven have not revealed whether they have paid the ransom or not, which is probably the best policy. Since the firm previously reported in September that over 500 U.S. schools were hit by ransomware attack since January, the number of affected schools more than doubled in under three months, according to Armour stats. So it's clear that schools are a target. To understand the impact a ransomware attack can have when it hits a school district, just in the case of Las Cruces Public Schools, the incident led to a full shutdown of all roughly 30,000 district devices from 42 schools, as well as full hard drive wipes and operating system reinstalls. So that's a lot of work. Louisiana's Governor John Edwards also declared a state of emergency in late July following a huge wave of ransomware attacks that targeted the state's school districts. So like I said earlier in the show, Louisiana's really taken a beating this year. Full list of 11 school districts hit by ransomware since late October is here. So we got Wood County Schools in Parkersburg, West Virginia, Port Next Groves, Independent School District in Port Next, Texas, Penn Harris Madison School Corporation in Mishawaka, Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, sorry, Livingston, New Jersey, School District in Livingston, New Jersey, Chicopee School Districts in Chicopee, Claremont Unified School District in Claremont Cali, oh, that's Chicopee, Massachusetts, by the way, sorry, Chicopee, Mass is not far from me, so I'm just used to saying Chicopee, Sycamore School District 427 in DeKalb, Illinois, Maine School Administrative District Number 6 in Buxton, Maine, Lincoln County in Brookhaven, Mississippi, San Bernardino City Unified School District in San Bernardino, California, and Las, Las Cruces Public Schools in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Overall, spanning all industry sectors, Armour says that it is identified that it identified public ransomware attack reports from 269 U.S. organizations since January 1st, with the municipalities leading in victim count with 82 reports, closely followed by educational entities with 72. So. That's a lot of um, schools and municipalities getting hit. MCSoft confirms the huge numbers in a separate annual re- in ransomware report published in December 12th. The MCSoft says that the impact of educational organizations in 2019 included 86 universities, colleges, and school districts with operations at up to 1,224 individual schools potentially affected. So they're reporting an even bigger number. Um, ransomware warnings and mitigation. So there is... Um, as I reported in the Cybersecurity Daily, there is now legislation in place, or not in place, but being proposed, um, K-12 Cybersecurity Act, against the background of ransomware attacks hitting schools frequently. Senators have introduced the K-12 Security Act. This act compromise or comprises of guidelines that can help establish guidelines Guidelines to establish guidelines to protect schools from ransomware attacks. Senators Gary Peters of Michigan and Rick Scott of Florida, are, who are members of the Senate Homeland Security, as well as Governmental Affairs Committee, are responsible for introducing this legislation. Schools are becoming popular targets for ransomware attacks. In fact, more than 1,000 educational institutions fell victim to ransomware infections in the first nine months of 2019, according to MCSoft. Payroll information details of staff and students, including medical records, were at risk because of these infections. How the act can help. So the act requires DHS's system 
which is Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security, Security Agency, to study the cybersecurity risks associated with K-12 educational institutions. The system must then develop an online toolkit and recommendations that would aid schools in preventing ransomware attacks. Although it doesn't provide funding, the act would provide a framework for schools to follow. Um, so they're saying the schools across the country are entrusted with safeguarding the personal data of their students and faculty, but lack many of the resources and information needed to adequately defend themselves against sophisticated cyber attacks, said Senator Gary Peters in a statement. Safety of our schools is always my top priority, and that includes protecting the information of our students and teachers. I'm proud to sponsor the K-12 Cybersecurity Act of 2019 to further protect our schools, students, and educators and give them the resources they need to stay safe, said Rick Scott. Several statements in support of the senator's legislation are said to have been v issued by various experts. So at least there is some attempt being made. And, of course, you have COPRA, and I don't know if the name will stay, but as of right now, COPRA, which is going to be the U.S.'s virgin version of um, the um, GDPR. So good news on that front. I don't know. Uh, education, I think, is going to be an important component of that. They're going to need to address it head-on with the schools, potentially have to cheap, teach, teach the students how to recognize an attack as well. Um, something I do at home with my kids, and I think it's important to do with your kids. So if you're not teaching your kids how to recognize things on social media and email and you know texting and all that, um, you should you should get a jump on that because it's a, it's a, you know the it used to be we have to worry about our neighborhood now we have to worry about the world. So keep that in mind when you send your kids out there. Hope you enjoyed that piece. We're going to move on to the HIPAA breaches for the week. All right, it's time for the HIPAA breach roundup. Um, so I'm first going to talk about HIPAA Journal posted their November 2019 healthcare data re breach report. Um, we have already surpassed for so January through November of this year is by far the second biggest year for healthcare breaches, um, breach records, number of records that are breached. 2015, still not even close to 2015, but no, no other year is close. For November... I'm going to quickly go through the list of the provider, the covered entity, and the location of the breach and the type of breach. Well, I'll, I'll tell you everything. Uh, Ivy Rehab Network, Inc. and its affiliated companies is a healthcare provider. 125,000 records impacted through hacking or IT incident, and the location was an email. Solara Medical Supplies, LLC, healthcare provider, 114,007, hacking IT and email. St. Francis Medical Center Healthcare Provider, 107,054, hacking IT. And that was an electric, electronic medical record network server. Southeastern Minnesota Oral and Maxiofacial Surgery Healthcare Provider, 80,000 records, hacking IT network server. Elizabeth Family Health Healthcare Provider, 28,375, theft, paper, films. Brooklyn Hospital Center Healthcare Provider 26,312 Hacking IT Network Server Utah Valley Eye Center Healthcare Provider 20,418 Records Hacking IT Incident and Desktop Computer Loudon Medical Group DBA Comprehensive Sleep Care Center 
Healthcare provider, 15,575. Hacking IT incident email. Choice Cancer Center healthcare provider, 14,673. Hacking IT incident email. And Arizona, Arizona Dental Insurance Services, Inc., DBA Delta Dental of Arizona. Health plan, 12,886. Records impacted. Hacking IT incident email. So of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 listed here, five of them were email. Uh, means phishing is still happening and we're still storing documents in email. Um, theft was a cause of breach five times in November. Unauthorized access or disclosure seven times. And then hacking IT incident 21 times in November. Um, location of the breached information. Other once, other portable de electronic device twice, network servers four, email 17 times, 17 times, paper film seven, electronic medical records four, laptop three times, desktop computer twice. I'm not sure how desktop computers, unless unless it was just compromised. Um, that's, the, that's a quick rundown of November. I reported this on the Cybersecurity Daily this morning, CMS Blue Button. 2.0 coding bug exposed PHI of 10,000 Medicare beneficiaries. CMS has shut that down. Uh, no word of whether or not, no, 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 no idea who may have compromised it, but it was reported that 10,000 records were exposed. That was this morning we reported that. Email security breaches reported by Conway Medical Center and Equinox. So 1,021 clients of Equinox Inc. notified of PHI exposure. Equinox in Albany, New York based provider of services to individuals suffered from ke chemical dependency, mental health issues, and domestic abuse survivors has discovered that email accounts of two of its employees have been accessed by unauthorized individuals. Data security breach was discovered by on July 16, 2019. One suspicious activity was when suspicious activity was detected in its digital environment. Its systems were immediately secured and third-party cybersecurity experts were engaged to investigate the, the breach. Equinox was informed on August 28th that two email accounts had been accessed by unauthorized individuals. The affected email accounts were reviewed to determine whether they contain any patient information. Equinox was informed on October 9th that the protected health information of 1,021 current and former clients had potentially been accessed. Um, affected individuals were notified on December 6th. So if you go by the original breach date, which was July 26, it took them more than 60 days. Um, so not good there. But if they're going by when they determined that there was PHI involved, then it does meet the 60-day rule. And the email accounts of several employees at Conway Medical Center in South Carolina have been accessed by unauthorized individuals. The phishing attack was detec detected on October 7th and affected email accounts were immediately secured to prevent further unauthorized access. External cybersecurity experts were engaged to investigate the breach and determine whether patient information had been viewed or acquired. The investigators determined that the first email accounts were compromised in or before July 2019. It took until November 20th for investigators to confirm that the protected health information of patients had been exposed as each email had to be checked to determine whether it contained PHI, and if it had been an access, that was largely a manual process. Um, doesn't say when they notified patients here, uh, but they do say that they were notified, so not sure when. 
Tidelands Health, recovering from malware attack. Tidelands Health in Georgetown, South Carolina, is working around the clock to restore its computer systems after the discovery of malware on its network. On December 12th, the attack has forced the healthcare provider to shut down parts of its network and implement emergency protocols. Staff has been using paper records for patients while the malware is removed and systems are restored. So I don't know. There's no update to this if it was restored yet. So that was a week ago, eight days ago. Um, so hopefully they are restored, um, but it does not indicate what the malware was. And it's not clear if there was, uh, they said there's no data loss, but it's not clear if it was ransomware or if there was if it was something else. Stolen Children's Hope Alliance laptop computer contained the PHI of 4,564 patients. That's, uh, so Barium Springs, North Carolina-based healthcare provider Children's Hope Alliance is notifying 4,564 patients that some of their protected health information has been exposed. The data was stored on an employee's laptop computer, which was stolen on October 7, 2019. Third-party computer forensic investigators have been engaged to determine what information was stored on the laptop. The investigation is ongoing, but preliminary findings indicate documents on the device contain names on the device, contain names, addresses, social security numbers, tax ID numbers, dates of birth, medication, and dosage information, and username and passwords. Notifications will be sent to affected users, infected individuals. Sorry, when the investigation has been completed at this stage, no evidence has been found to indicate any patient information has been accessed. I mean, it was reported stolen on October 7th, so it's only been two months. Um, it could be just uploaded to a database for someone to discover months from now. Um, doesn't sound like it was encrypted. Doesn't say here, but if it is encrypted, then they don't have to. Um, they don't have to report. So, once again, something's still happening in late 2019. We have unencrypted devices with PHI on them. All devices should be encrypted. Uh, Truman Medical Center notifies 114,466 patients of potential PHI exposure. Truman Medical Center is the largest provider of inpatient outpatient services in Kansas City, Missouri, has discovered the protected health information of 114,466 patients was stored on an unencrypted laptop computer that was stolen from the vehicle of one of its employees. So here we go again. Another one. This occurred on July 18, 2019. Um... I don't know why, but it took until October 29, 2019 to determine that patient information was stored on the device. It's kind of silly because it shouldn't take that long. Either you know it is or you know it's not. Uh, either way, they did not meet the 60-day mark. Stolen stolen BlackBerry contained the PHI of 2,477 patients of La Clinica de la Raza. This is in California. Uh, this was stolen on August 20th, 2019. I don't know, A, why anybody's still using BlackBerry at this point. And B, why is it, I don't know, can you encrypt a, a BlackBerry? I'm not sure. You can encrypt email, and those emails contain names, birth dates. So it was on, technically it was on the email. The BlackBerry device was stolen, and the device had unencrypted emails. Without, uh, sounds like there wasn't even a password on the device. And, um... Affected patients were notified of the breach by mail on December 13th, so also did not report within 60 days. And then finally, we talked about it earlier in the, in our cybersecurity news, Hackensack Meridian Health recovering from ransomware attack. So I'm not going to go into details on that, but um, look for that to be, uh, I don't. it doesn't say how many records were impacted, um, but look to see that 
potentially next year sometime or the year after as far as penalties go. All right, that's going to do it for the HIPAA Roundup. We will conclude with... HIPAA Rights of Access for Patients. Okay, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. This is the HIPAA education portion of the show. This week we're going to talk about rights to access. Uh, the short version of the rule, and this is one, by the way, this is one of the most commonly violated HIPAA uh, regulations, but the short version of the rule is that if a patient requests their medical record, electronic medical record, that a covered entity, which would be the healthcare provider, has 30 days to provide that information. If for some reason they need more than 30 days, then they have to notify the patient within 30 days that they need more than 30 days and they will have no more than 60 days to supply that health record to the patient. That, pa that health record should include can or can include health information, medical, and um, billing records. Okay, so now the long version of the rule, which can be found on hhs.gov, we're going to go through. Um, and this is individuals' rights under HIPAA to access their health information. And I, I'm bringing this up this week because there was a recent uh, a HIPAA breach or a HIPAA violation announcement about a similar case. One case, one person claimed um, that they did not receive their health care records and it cost $85,000 in fines. Uh, so the general right, the privacy rule requires, generally requires HIPAA-covered entities, health plans, and most health care providers to provide individuals upon request with access to the protected health information about them in one or more designated record sets maintained by or for the covered entity. This includes the right to inspect or obtain a copy or both of the PHI as well as to direct a covered entity to transmit a copy to a designated person or entity of the individual's choice. So if you want to, you know, you want to get you want to see a different doctor, or you want to go see a specialist, you, then you can send that information to that doctor. You can request that information to be sent to the doctor. Individuals have a right to access this PHI for as long as the information is maintained by the covered entity or by a business, or by a business associate on behalf of the covered entity. Regardless of the date the information was created, whether the information is maintained in a paper or electronic systems on-site remotely or is archived or where the PHI originated. Um, so some general information. So individuals have a right to access PHI in a designated record set. A designated record set is defined at 45 CFR 164.501 as a group of records maintained by or for a covered entity that comprises the medical records and billing records about an individuals maintained by or for a covered health care provider. Enrollment, payment, claims, ad adjudication, and case or medical management record systems maintained by or for a health plan or other records that are used in whole or in part by or for the covered entity to make the decisions about individuals. This last category includes records that are used to make decisions about any individuals, whether or not the records have been used or make decision about the particular individual requesting access. The term record means any item, collection, or a grouping of information that includes PHI and is maintained, collected, used, or disseminated by a covered entity. So, information excluded from the right of access. 
An individual does not have a right to access PHI that is not part of the designated record set because the information is not used to make decisions about individuals. So it could be kind of a gray area there. This may include certain quality assessment or improvement records, patient safety activity records, or business planning development and management records that are used for business decisions more generally rather than to make decisions about individuals. For example, a hosp hospital's peer review files or practitioner or provider performance evaluations or health plans quality control records that are used to improve customer service or f formulary f development records may be generated from and include an individual's PHI but might not be in the covered entity's designated record set and subject to access by the individual. In addition, two categories of information are expressly excluded from the right of access to include psychotherapy notes, which are personal notes of mental health care provider, documenting or analyzing the contents of the counseling session that are maintained separate from the rest of the patient's medical records, that's under 45 CFR 164.524, um, subsection A1I, and 164.501. Information compiled in reasonable anticipation of or for use in civil, criminal, or administrative action or proceeding. However, the underlying PHI from the individual's medical or payment records or other records used to generate the above types of excluded records or information remains part of the designated record set and subject to access by the individual. So it's kind of confusing, but essentially what it says is, um, and this is why I don't usually use hhs.gov because the, the verbiage can be confusing. Um, but what it says is if uh, you need your medical records that include billing or medical record and history, then absolutely you should get it within 30 days in the requested format or if you need it sent to someone else, another doctor or something along those lines, then yes, it should be done. However, if those records are, um, if you're asking for records that would be for the improvement of the healthcare provider, for example, an overall analysis of the healthcare records by the insurance provider, then that would not be included. Or if you request psychotherapy notes um, in other words, you're seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist, and they've made notes outside of what's been um, documented within the EHR, which is electronic health records, then you, you would not be able to access those. And information that is used in a lawsuit of some type or a criminal investigation of some type, then you would not be able to get those. The PHI that's involved in those things is absolutely yours. Otherwise, you would not be able to get those. Um, request for access, you can require, you can request access in writing. Covered entity may require individuals to request access in writing. Providing the covered entity informs individuals of this agreement. So it must be, um, you must be informed of that ahead of time. In other words, you go to the doctor, you fill out this form ahead of time. They inform you of your, your HIPAA rights. Um, which kind of ironic because it's usually on paper, but and then they also inform you that you have a right to your records and how you would go about getting those records. Now I can tell you from my own experience, I've had cases where scenarios where I, I've had to go to the doctor and say I need you know the records, whether it's for myself, my kids, or whatever. I need these records, and they will charge. I believe it was five dollars. Now we now uh, we have access through an app 
that they provide. They don't provide a third-party app, and our records are in there, and we don't. We no longer need to request them through the doctor. Um, so covered entities also may offer individuals the option of using electronic means. So there you go, email, secu secure web portal to make requests for access. In addition, a covered entity may require individuals to use the entity's own supplied form, provided use of the form does not create a barrier to or unreasonable delay the individual for obtaining access to the PHI as described below. Verification, the privacy rule requires a covered entity to take reasonable steps to verify the identity of the individual making a request for access. I'm not gonna go into the privacy rule too much today. Um, that'll be a future episode, but essentially they need to be able to verify you are who you are and that can be done through driver's license state id passport things like that uh, unreasonable measures while the privacy rule allows covered entities to require the, that individuals request access in writing requires verification of the identity of the person requesting access the covered entity may not impose unreasonable measure measures on an individual requesting access that serves barriers so in other words they can't put up roadblocks um if uh, you know they tell you you got to use the web portal, but you don't have access to the internet on a regular basis, then they have to provide other access to you. If they, uh, if you want an electronic format, they should be able to give it to you in electronic format. Those are those are kind of barriers. Um, let's see what else. And yeah, and that's so fees. That's the other piece. Fees. The privacy rule permits a covered entity to impose a reasonable cost-based fee if the individual requests a copy of the PHI or agrees to receive a summary or explanation of the information. The fee may include only the cost of labor for copying the PHI requested by the individual, whether in paper or electronic form, supplies for creating the paper copy or electronic form. You know, what, For example, if it's on CD or USB drive, if the individual requests that the electronic copy be provided on portable media, postage when the individual requested a copy or a summary of the explanation be mailed in preparation of an explanation or summary of the PHI if agreed to by the individual. The fee may not include costs associated with verification, documentation, searching for and retrieving the PHI, maintaining systems, recouping capital for data access, storage or infrastructure or other costs not listed above. Um, and so that's the federal law. There, there may be some things that the state law also requires but that's the federal law, federal law for access rights to your medical records or those that are in your care. Um, I th like I said, I think I paid $5 once or twice for records. I, don't, I never paid more than that that I'm aware of. Um, grounds for denial. Under certain limited circumstances, a covered entity may deny an individual's request for access to all or a portion of the PHI requested. In some of these cir circumstances, an individual has a right to have the denial reviewed by a licensed healthcare professional designated by the covered entity who did not participate in the original decision to deny. Unreviewable grounds for denial requests is for psychotherapy notes, as I mentioned earlier, or information compiled in reasonable ante anticipation of or for use in a legal proceeding. An inmate requests a copy of her, his or her PHI held by a covered entity that is in that is a correctional institution or healthcare provider acting under the direction of the institution and providing the copy would jeopardize the health, safety, security, custody, or rehabilitation of an inmate or other inmates or the safety of correctional officers, employees, or other person at the institution or responsible for transporting of the inmate. However, in these cases, an inmate, an inmate retains the right to inspect her PHI. 
his or her. They request the PHI as a designated record that set that as part of a research study that includes treatment and is still in progress, provided the individual agreed to the temporary suspension of access when consenting to participate in the research. The individual's right of access is reinstated upon completion of the research. The requested PHI is in Privacy Act protected records. For example, certain records under the control of a federal agency, which may be maintained by a federal agency or a contractor to a federal agency if the denial of access is consistent with the requirements of the act. The request to PHI was obtained by someone other than a health care provider, for example, a family member or, or the individual under a promise of confidentiality, and providing access to the information would be reasonably likely to reveal the source of the information. Reviewable grounds for denial. Um, the access requested is reasonably likely to endanger the life of or physical safety of the individual or another person. This ground for denial does not extend to concerns about psychological or emotional harm. The access requested is reasonably likely to cause substantial harm to a person other than a health care provider referenced in the PHI. The provision of access to a personal representative or of the individual, individual that requests such access is reasonably likely to cause substantial harm to the individual or another person. Um, individual's right to direct the PHI to another person. An individual also has a right to direct a covered entity to transmit the PHI about the individual directly to another person or entity designated by the individual. The individual's request to direct the PHI to another person must be in writing, signed by the individual, and clearly identify the designated person where to send the PHI. The covered entity may accept an electronic copy of a signed request, for example, a PDF, as well as an electronically executed request via a secure web portal that includes an electronic signature. The same requirements for providing the PHI to, to the individual, such as the fee limitations, and requirements for providing PHI in the form and format man and manner requested by the individual apply when an individual directs the PHI be sent to another person. State laws that provide individuals with greater rights of access to their PHI than, this pri than the privacy rule or that are contrary to the privacy rule are not preempted by HIPAA and thus still apply. So in other words, if in the state of Connecticut, state of Connecticut laws apply. Um, what else can I tell you here? There's some question and answers I'm not going to go through. But uh, so that's the, the right to access your own health care records, PHI, which is pr protected health information, um, under HIPAA. So there you have it. That's going to do it for this HIPAA education corner and for this episode of the podcast. So until next week, uh, I won't talk to you before Christmas on this podcast. So until next week, have a Merry Christmas and stay secure.